The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Uh, I want to get into the Word this morning, and happy to get into the Word and shift gears here. Uh, always trusting and believing that when we do get into the scripture that there's purpose behind it, that it's more than just filling a religious obligation. And, uh, and this is something that is going to hit close to home for me because it's, it's an element that is something that, that uh, might be a bit of a struggle in my life on occasion. So uh, I'm getting into the word this morning not just to, to preach uh, to you, but to preach to me as well. So as we get into the word, here's a few things that we're going to find. If you're taking notes, you can jot these things down. These are things to look forward to. Uh, maybe a little bit of a milestone here to kind of keep you engaged. Perhaps something that is intriguing to you and uh, uh, can help you stay focused and, and wait, uh, waiting with a uh, watchful eye for it to uh, be revealed here. So, one, how to know God. Now, this is an important thing. First of all, knowing God is eternal life. Like, that's what Jesus said. When he's praying for you in John 17, he says that this is eternal life that they would know you and the Christ whom you've sent. So eternal life is knowing God. Now, this is an interesting thing to think about because there's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. I mean, we've touched on that before, and you're all pretty familiar with that. I mean, if someone were to teach you about me or tell you about me, you would hear things that they would be sharing with you. Some of them might be accurate, some of them wouldn't be accurate, but you would know about me. Now, if we began to hang out and spend time together, that's when you would actually get to know me. There's a big difference between those two, right? Uh, so it, you can see that it's really reflected a lot in marriage. You know, you date a little bit, and you get to know about each other, and then you get married, and then you know each other. And, oh, my gosh. Okay, so we're moving on from that. So the point is, is knowing God's an important thing. How to know God is a, is a good thing to, to have uh, in, in your pocket. It's a good thing to know, like, hey, listen, the Bible gives me a, a strategic plan to engage with God and to know who he is so that I can walk in that eternal life. And that's really the, the point, right? I mean, that life that God brings into our lives through Jesus, the abundant life that he promises. It's important that we know God, not just know about him. A second thing that we're going to find is what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, we're going to get to that uh, here, and there's a lot of things that he does. It's not meant to be absolute, but it's a pretty, pretty big thing. And I think that if we make a note of that, it can kindle some excitement in a couple of directions. One, gratitude, being grateful for what the Holy Spirit does in our life. Two, anticipation. Maybe you'll hear it and be like, you know what? I need that in my life. So now I know where to go to get it. I'm going to start seeking God for the Holy Spirit's presence and activity in my life so that I can have that. Another thing we're going to find uh, is uh, how we want to be known. I mean, I, I struggled with how to write that down. Reputation, maybe, is a good word for it. I mean, you've got a reputation one way or another. Like, the, the people around you know you as something. Uh, there are times where I have fought reputations of being a little bit on the grouchy side or something like that. But, you know, I mean, you want to know that your behavior leaves an impression on people that becomes your reputation. And reputation is something that can be a bit of a challenge. It can be a struggle. It can be a hang-up. It can be a great benefit. It just depends on what the reputation is and who you're dealing with. But I can guarantee you this, reputation can be adjusted. And it can be adjusted with consistent behavior. We're going to find out how we want to be known or what we want our reputation to be. We're going to see that in one clear, clean-cut scripture 
that just puts that one to rest. So as we get into the word, let's start with how to know God. How to know God. Now, this is something I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. We've used this before, but I want to use it again today for this purpose. It's going to come from Exodus, the book of Exodus. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. I have in my notes here Exodus 33. So Exodus 33, what you're going to have here is Moses speaking to God. They're having a conversation. And in this conversation, some really wonderful and powerful things are, are discussed and revealed. Now, as God and Moses are speaking, they're talking about the things that are, are going to take place. They're talking about the people of God leaving slavery and bondage and moving into the promises of God and the freedom of God's goodness and the liberty of, of the identity of being the people of God. Now, this is a piece of history, and it's also a type and shadow of your life. I was once in slavery to sin. God intervened, and he delivered me out of sin and into his promises. And this is me. It's you, right? So as we look at this, we don't just have a nice piece of history, and it really is documented history. We also have an indication of our life, and we can study that. We can learn from it. We can apply it and get really phenomenal results. So what we see here now is we see people moving out of slavery, out of darkness, into freedom, and into light. That's me and you. And in this process, a conversation takes place. And this conversation is one that's worth noting because I want to have this conversation with God too. So Moses is speaking to God, and he, he makes this comment. Now, I'll give you the comment, and it's really a, a powerful comment. It's going to be the foundation for everything we're going to talk about. You'll find it around verse 13. Moses says, let me know your ways so that I may know you. I mean, when you just read that, you could read right past it. If you're just in a hurry and you're trying to, you know, get through the Bible in 90 days or something like that, you just plow right through it. But if you stop and you think about that, think about what he's asking. Let me know your ways so that I may know you. First of all, you're seeing a condition introduced, like I'm never going to know you unless I know your ways, right? And if I know that knowing God, not just knowing about God, is, is where eternal life is and where this relationship that I've been called to walk in is, then I want that. I need to have that conversation with him. Let me know your ways so that I can know you. Think about what that would mean, your ways. You know, not just the things you do, but why you do it. Let me know your motives, the driving force in your heart when you do these things. When you send your son as a ransom for me, let me know your ways. Knowing his ways is the difference between getting it right and getting it wrong. Knowing God's ways, that he sent Jesus to die for you because of his uh, unconditional love for you is different than he sent Jesus to die for you because he was so embarrassed by your sin he had to do something about it. You see the difference there? Knowing the motive behind it adjusts everything about our perspective of what's going on. So you're never going to know someone until you know their motives, until you know their ways. And so here's Moses, and I'm thinking, what an amazing question. He's standing in the presence of God, and honestly, the floor is open for him to say anything, like, why did you make giraffes, right? I mean, he could be asking anything, and he's asking that. Well, I think he was prepared to ask that question. And it's a good thing to be prepared to ask those questions. What a wonderful thing for him to ask. I want you, please, to show me your ways so that I may know you. It revealed that he knew the value of knowing God. It revealed that he knew if he didn't know God's motives, that was never going to happen. And then the wonderful thing about this question is the answer. 
that God didn't respond and say like, well, you'll have to figure that out. That he said, okay. And he gives him a location and says, I'm going to pass before you. And I will let you see me from behind, and I will declare who I am to you, okay? So what God is revealing now is he's going to reveal his ways so that Moses can know who he is. And so when this takes place, God puts Moses in a place, and then he begins to reveal himself. You'll find that statement in about verse 19. Here's what God says. I myself will make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim to you the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to the one that I will be gracious to, and I will have compassion on the one that I will show compassion. Those are really interesting words. We're going to talk about one of those words this morning. Then you get to the next chapter, okay? So you've got to turn the page here, and you're in Exodus 34. This is when God's actually showing Moses his ways. He's answering Moses' question. So here when you get to Exodus 34, you see the, the answer to the question. The question was, let me know your ways so that I may know you. Then Exodus 34 and verse 6, it says, the Lord passed by in front of him, and the proclamation was, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Those are his motives. Everything that he will ever do in your life will be because he is as follows, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abundant in love, and he's true. I mean, what a great thing to put in your heart and to put in your mind. What a great thing to crush and just really destroy any of that garbage thinking that God is after you to destroy you or that he's looking to punish you or that... But everything he's doing, his motive is out of compassion. He feels for your hurt and your wound and wants to bring solution. Out of graciousness, that he wants to bestow good things upon you. Out of a, a slowness to anger, he's not ticked at you, but rather he wants to lead you and guide you in the right way that you should go. That he's abundant in love for you. I love the word abundant. It doesn't just mean like he loves you. It means it can't even be contained. I got a bottle of water here. To some people, it might be half full. To some, it might be half empty. But if that thing were abundant, it wouldn't just be full. It would be spilling over. For him to be abundant in loving kindness and truth means that it can't even be contained. It's spilling out all over the place. His love for you and the truth that he brings into our life through Jesus. What an amazing thing to consider. Those are his motives. Those are his ways. And when you begin to see his ways, it begins to affect how you know him. I don't know him as a disappointed, disgruntled dad who wants to put me in my place, but I know him as a gracious and compassionate father who's leading me and guiding me into prosperity in every aspect of my life. Isn't that awesome? I almost ran out of air on that. <gasps> pretty amazing let me know your ways so that I may know you now there's one of these ways that I'm going to pick on today because it's the one that I need to preach to me right and the one that I want to focus on is graciousness now you heard me pray over the kids you know and that was the, what we wanted the graciousness and I think graciousness is they're all important I mean there's not one of these that's going to 
you know, fall to the side as like the least important. This just happens to be the one that I want to select and talk about this morning, and I hope that it's for good reason. I hope it's not just for me. I hope it's for you too. But I want to talk about graciousness. Graciousness is at the heart of who God is. It's at the heart of his motives in everything that he does in your life. So I want to see, you know, what is graciousness and how important is it? There's some incredible elements of graciousness that you'll find in the scripture. Uh, here's, a, here's a few things. Graciousness is the solution for need. Now, not just your needs, right? I mean, I have needs and I need God's graciousness in my life to see those needs met. But the world is filled with needs and I'm called because of the blood of Jesus and the anointing of the Holy Ghost on my life to go be gracious and see those need, needs met. That's, the, that's the, the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, not only in my life, but through my life. And you'll find that graciousness meets needs in, in a few passages of Scripture. I'm not giving you this as an absolute list, but it's a list of Scriptures that are really great to, to make note of. Here's one, Psalm 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O Lord, my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. I mean, when I read that, you can either read that and, 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 and plow right through it and just see that it's a cry to be heard. But then you can stop and you can see the, the importance of the, the, the presence of graciousness in order for someone to be heard. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like you weren't being heard? There's a word that my wife will use, and I've heard it way too much in my life, and it's the word dismiss. I feel like you're dismissing me. You know, I'll think about that word, and it's hurtful to me to even ponder it. That is a horrible thing to be dismissed. You're dismissed. Basically, it's a polite way of saying, get the hell out. And I, she'd say, I feel dismissed. And I'm thinking, well, you feel dismissed? Why do you feel dismissed? Because I don't feel like you're hearing me. And so I'll go, and I'll think, well, I need to hear harder. Try hearing harder right now. Can you hear me preaching? Now hear harder. Just do it harder for me, Okay. It's not going to work, right? So I'll beat my head against the wall metaphorically trying to fix this problem because I don't want her to be dismissed, but she feels dismissed, and it's a problem. So what do I got to do? Well, I look at this passage of Scripture, and I can see that, that the key to hearing somebody is going to be graciousness. I need to get gracious. When I go into my prayer closet, it's not, God, help my ears hear better, but it's, Father, fill me with graciousness so that she doesn't feel dismissed. I want her to feel heard. And if it's graciousness that opens up the ears to hear, then let graciousness be in and through my life toward her that she not be dismissed. Yeah. Here's another passage of Scripture, uh, Psalm 27, verse 7, okay? Hear when I cry. There's a lot of hearing going on here. <laughs> Hear when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. Whoa, now we're not just hearing, but we're responding. It's not just hearing, but it's answering now. So now we're just throwing all kinds of things toward this issue of the world feeling dismissed. And it's not just, you know, me revealing that challenge at home. It's, this is a, a worldwide issue. You've got people who are hurt, wounded in desperate situations, and they feel like they are alienated, cast out, and rejected because they don't feel hurt. When you read the gospel and you see the masses of people that Jesus ministered to, they weren't just appearing out of thin air for the first time. They'd always been there but they never had a voice. And when graciousness entered in, they were heard. All of those blind beggars were crying out every single day in the street. 
And then in comes grace. And when that graciousness was introduced, their cries were heard and they were answered. I want that. I don't just want that for my life. I want that through my life. Don't you? Graciousness. Uh, here's another one now. Psalm 25, 16. <laughs> Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Wow. <clears throat> now, we've done this before, and we'll do this every time because I think it's worth it. I mean, take that word for and substitute the word because. It's how we talk, right? We say because. We don't say four, right? Four just sounds a little la-di-da, right? We've given the example before, hey, preach fast for I am hungry. Sounds goofy. But like, hey, preach fast because I'm hungry, right? It's a little more normal. So let's put the word because in there. Now listen to this. Uh, Turn to me and be gracious to me because I'm lonely and afflicted. I feel alone and dismissed. I need graciousness. to. You've got to turn to me. You've got to look at me. You've got to see me. And it's all going to happen when graciousness comes in. And it will heal and respond to my loneliness and my affliction. The whole world out there, lonely and afflicted. And until graciousness enters in, they'll stay that way. I want to be a gracious man. Here's another one here. Psalm 6, verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm wasting away. Heal me, for I'm in dismay. I mean, what a great thing to to bring healing into a situation. And, and, you know, I've prayed for a lot of people that were in need of healing, and I can share with you testimonies of real miracles. I mean, like, you're praying, and... And it doesn't feel very faith-filled when you, you have your own mind blown, you know. <laughs> Where you're kind of, you would think like, yes, I was expecting that to happen. And you're like, oh, my God, it worked. <laughs> you know? I mean, I can tell you some stories that are amazing. I mean, they're ama- they amaze me every time I tell them. But I can tell you that oftentimes when I've prayed, I've prayed, you know, for healing and heal and heal because that's what the person needs. Now, when I consider Jesus and him going away to the mountain to pray, you know, and then coming back and ministering to people, I don't know that he went to the mountain to say, Father, fill me up with more healing so I can go and heal. But I do think he would go and pray, fill me up with graciousness so that I would get back down there. All of those that need healing can have what they need. Fill me up with graciousness. That's what I want my prayer to be. Father, I want to be a gracious man. Fill me with graciousness. I don't want the world to be dismissed by me, overlooked and ignored by me. I don't want their hurt and their wound to go unhealed by the ministry that you've anointed me with. I don't want it to just sit on the shelf doing nothing when you've called it to go and bring solution. Oh, fill me up with graciousness and let that graciousness have its way in and through my life. Here's one that I think is really amazing from Psalm 41.4. Psalm 41.4. I'll read it to you, and then I'll have to maybe kind of explain a couple things because we don't all share the same vocabulary sometimes. But, O Lord, be gracious to me and heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. 
This is a pretty interesting one when you consider healing. You know, we already covered healing, right? We did that in the last verse. But then this is specific. And the, the, the specific nature of this is that it's in the soul. Well, the soul is in the, the realm of the mind, right? It's in your will and your emotions and your intellect and all these things. And, and this is something where if you have emotional damage in your life, there's a need to see that healed. If you don't see that healed, it will follow and it will bring about affliction. It will affect how you think and how you feel and how you react to the world around you instead of respond to the world around you. It will have negative effects in so many ways. And according to this passage of scripture, the, the, the cure is found in graciousness. Here's a couple of passages here because we've got to move through, cover some ground here. So I, I want to just offer this to you as, as follows, and then we're going to read a few passages of scripture. It's really God's graciousness towards you that lays the foundation for every good work in your life through Jesus and the presence and the activity of the Holy Ghost. I mean, the Holy Spirit moving and active in and through your life is all because of God's graciousness, not only to you, but through you. I want to give you a passage of scripture again. We're pulling from the Psalms, you know. So Psalm 30, verse 10, it reads like this. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. I read that and I just bells go off in my head. Alarms and flags are waving. Ding, 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 ding. Pay attention to that. Be gracious to me, God, and be my helper. When you see Jesus discussing the Holy Spirit with the disciples in John 14 and 16, he identifies the Holy Spirit as your helper. And you can see this, this request is all coming through God's graciousness. God, be gracious to me and be my helper. What a great prayer to pray. I have called upon the Holy Spirit for help on a number of occasions. And I really think it's important to have my mind and my heart right. Father, in all of your graciousness toward me, let your spirit prevail in this moment. And let your spirit bring about the, the, the gift that's necessary to see this problem have solution. Let your Holy Spirit prevail in this to see the fruits of your spirit prevail over my corrupt emotions so that I can behave myself like a God-fearing adult. <laughs> yeah, amen to that, right? Bunch of heathen children out there. <laughs> Pretty wild. But here's a few more passages of Scripture here. So, I mean, I want to give these to you. I mean, uh, this one I want to give, and we'll, I want to share a few thoughts on it. We already kind of touched on the, the idea of God at work in your mind through your soul. I, I mentioned to you before we're going to find out, you know, what the Holy Spirit does, and you'll find that here in these passages of Scripture. So Psalm 54, verse 4 is where we're at. Behold, God is my helper, the sustainer of my soul. Now remember we just read that cry, be gracious to me and be my helper. Now we see what that looks like. Behold, God is my helper. He sustains my soul. Remember, that's upstairs. That's the realm of the mind. The, the way you think and the way that you, you, you perceive and the way that you uh, 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 respond, the, the, all of the thoughts that are formed that lead to your actions, it's all starting in the way that you think. And all of that's taking place within the soul. I mean, this is a tough one to wrap your mind around, but once you do, you'll never look back. 
I look at my sons, and they're a great example to me personally. I mean, you have these twins. Now, let me tell you something. I think they're identical. Mom thinks they're not. We should know. There's things that should know. We even asked the doctor, said, hey, doc, are they identical or not? You want to know what he said? He cursed us for the rest of our life when he said this. He said, oh, I forgot to look. Now people will say, hey, are they identical or fraternal? And we have to look like idiots and say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I look at them and I realize, like, like physically, they are the result of my genetics and her wonderful, lovely, amazing genetics coming together and producing these two wonderful young men. But there's something that has nothing to do with genetics, and it's who they are. They have likes and dislikes. They have preferences and, and things that they don't prefer. They have an individual personality. That's their soul. That's what God wove together in the womb. And I had nothing to do with it. Now what I'm charged to do with it is raise it up in the way it should go. Protect it and cherish it and, and keep it from being uh, beaten down and abused. But raise it up to be strong and secure in the things of God. So when you consider the presence of the Holy Spirit helping in your life by sustaining your soul, that's where the work of the Holy Ghost is taking place. Affecting how you think and feel. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed the longer you're a believer, the more your thoughts change? Let me give you an example of that. We talked about this before we came out uh, from the, the room there with the worship team. You look at the Apostle Paul, and before he's a Christian, he stands and declares, I'm perfect. And then by the time his ministry is over, he says, I'm the chief of sinners, right? Big change between perfect and chief of sinners. The longer he's walking with Jesus, the longer he's a Christian, the more his thoughts and feelings change. It doesn't mean that he began to sin more. It meant he began to be aware of more sin. His convictions changed. Things that he used to look at, now he's like, I can't be looking at that. Things he used to listen to, now he's like, I can't be listening to that. Things change because God is at work in your soul changing you. And the promise is that he'll continue to perfect you until the day of the Lord, which means he's going to keep working on you till it's all over. A wonderful promise because I need a lot of work. Yeah. So God is my helper, the sustainer of my soul. If you want a couple of chapters to read in your, your own time, John 14 and John 16 are, are really great where Jesus is talking to the disciples about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to know how is the helper, how is the Holy Ghost helping me in sustaining my soul, you'll find some things there. One simple one you'll find is that he bring to your remembrance the words that Jesus speaks. I think that's really great. I pull on that a lot, actually. I mean, if you saw sometimes the amount of preparation that went into a message, you might be a little concerned, right? Because I'm walking in faith here, baby. I mean, I'm, hey, you said you would bring to my remembrance the word, so go to it, you know. But that's the thing that we're looking toward here is that, that God has put his Holy Spirit in our life to be active in the way we think, to, to, to adjust how we think so that we can perform differently, so that we can do the things that we know we need to do. So he's here to bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus speaks, the instructions, the cautions, the directions, all those wonderful things. And then it also says that he's present to bring about conviction as it concerns what's wrong and what's right. The scripture says sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when a Christian is living a life of conviction, they're living a life not led by their own selfish appetites, but they're living a life uh, under the conviction of or the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
I can tell you there are a lot of things that I would want to do, but I know I'm not going to do that because it's wrong, right? And it's that conviction that sets me apart, that is at work in my soul to keep me from being an animal and to lead me into being a child of God. So as we continue in here, we're going to find a few more things in the psalm. Psalm 72, 12. It's a wonderful promise from this, this uh, graciousness that brings about God's help or the helper. In this case, we're referring to the Holy Spirit. He will deliver the needy when they cry for help. The afflicted also, the one that has no helper. Now, I like putting this passage in here. It just stood out to me because I thought, what an interesting way to think of life without the Holy Ghost, afflicted. Right? I mean, a life without the Holy Spirit active in my life is going to be a life of affliction, suffering and, and wound, making the wrong choices and suffering the consequences for him over and over and over repeatedly, not having that conviction to lead me and guide me into the right choices and getting the results of the right choices, but rather being led about by my base instincts and making the wrong choices. The, the scripture talks about appetites. That's a whole other message. But leading you astray. Uh, here's a, another passage of scripture that I think is, is really great as it concerns that. And, and any part of this that inspires any thought about needing God's help or calling on that graciousness is responded to when Jesus is talking to the disciples about the Holy Ghost in John 14. Around verse 16, he just says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give to you a helper so that he may be with you forever. I mean, that's a really great thing to consider that the presence of God's help, the presence, the manifestation of his graciousness is with me at all times. Not just when I'm at church. It's not medicinal. You don't go out and get your tail kicked six days a week and then come into the church and take your medicine. But that the spirit of God and the graciousness of God is with us always. So what is graciousness? We're going to wind down with this, okay? I want to give you a couple of, of words here. We're going to turn to the dictionary for these things, just to get some definitions. And then we're going to have one more passage of Scripture, and that's going to be the end of the message here. So if you go to the dictionary and you look up uh, graciousness, it, it's defined as this. Marked or identified by kindness and courtesy. Kindness and courtesy. That stings a little bit when I ask myself, am I a gracious man? Think about the concept of courtesy, and it is Jesus, right? I mean, courtesy would be put others first. I mean, if, if somebody, you know, held the door for you and let you go in, you might say like, wow, that's very courteous of you. You know, something like that. That's a little bit formal, right? We don't really talk like that, but it would fit. The idea would be they let you go. They did the work so that you could have the benefit. You first. That's courtesy. It's the opposite of selfishness. And when I consider the amount of selfishness in my life through my choices and decisions and some of the base actions that lead to, to dysfunction and frustration, it's really heartbreaking to think of the missed opportunities to be courteous, to put someone else first. And you consider kindness, the idea of, of favor, the result of, based on the definition here, 
the result of merciful action. And there's a word that's used in this definition that I want to reveal to you, and then we're going to look up that word, because if you don't know what that word means, then you really don't know what anything means. You sure don't know what gracious means. So the word is benevolent. Now, we do use that word, especially in church. You know, you can have a benevolence ministry where you help people in need and things like that. I mean, it's a word that gets used in church environments, but I don't know that it's used culturally a lot, right? Uh, I don't think that if I called you up and, and just said, hey, man, I need some help, uh, that would, would, would sound odd to you. But I think if I called and said, hey, man, I have some benevolence, it would be like, what did you say? <laughs> Most... Most of us in the room here have a pretty strong vocabulary and would get it, but it's just not a word we use every day. So if you go to the dictionary for benevolent, here's, here's what it's identified. Remember, gracious was marked by kindness and courtesy, benevolent. Benevolent is marked by or identified by doing good. Doing good. <clears throat> Many of you will get a text from me on occasion, you know, if I'm checking in or if we're texting back and forth or something. I'll ask, you doing good? Let me tell you something. I'm well aware that that's not proper English, right? I think the way you should say it is, are you doing well, right? Are you doing well? I'm asking on purpose, are you doing good? It's not bad English. It's a specific question. Are you being benevolent? Are you functioning in graciousness? Is everything functioning as it should as a mature Christian? Are you doing good? And the idea of what that would mean is summed up in one passage of Scripture, in my opinion, though the whole word would testify and uphold it and prop it up. I think you can find uh, the idea of benevolence and the doing of good in a single passage of Scripture, and it's really who we're called to be. I told you before we're going to find out how we want to be known what we want our reputation to be. Let me give you this passage of scripture here, and I'm going to tip my hand a little bit. You're about to hear the reputation of Jesus Christ. So you find it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts 10, verse 38. Here comes the reputation of Jesus Christ. It opens up with these words. Hey, you know Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so you're, now you're seeing somebody is talking to someone else about Jesus. His reputation's about to be revealed. How he's known to these other people is about to be revealed. You know Jesus of Nazareth. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good. There's benevolence, remember, marked by doing good. Very foundation of graciousness. And how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God is with him. I love that passage of scripture. I love the idea that, that we, first of all, can even know who he is. You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with power and the Holy Spirit, and how he went about doing good, healing all who were afflicted by the devil because God was with him. What a wonderful reputation. I want it. I want to be able to write my name in there. Hey, you know Preston Humphreys how God anointed him with power and the Holy Spirit and how he went about doing good. How he went about healing all of those who were afflicted by the devil because God's with him. That's the reputation that you want. It's the reputation that you're called to. 
It's the reputation that you're equipped for as a Christian. With the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit active and moving in and through your life, this is the reputation that we're called to. To be a people anointed with power, anointed with the Holy Ghost. To go about doing good. Being gracious to, being attentive to, hearing the cry of, turning and giving answer to, giving attention to, all of those things that we looked at earlier that graciousness responds to so that the world doesn't go dismissed. We have the graciousness necessary to walk in the same reputation of Jesus Christ. Anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power to go about doing good, healing those who are oppressed by the devil because God is with us. I want that reputation for me. I hope that when my life uh, ends on the earth and I'm no longer here, that people would say, hey, did you ever know Preston? He was anointed by God with power and the Holy Spirit. And he spent his life going about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil because God's with him. There's no reason why we can't have that reputation. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to offer a prayer to see the graciousness that's been bestowed upon us stirred. I don't believe for one second that it's something that's just absent from the room as if There's no graciousness present in this room, and there's a need for this fresh and new impartation. But I do believe that there's a need for that to be stirred in our lives, because I think it settles. But it's meant to flow. When you consider the words of Jesus, that from your spirit man, your innermost being, would flow rivers of living water, that living water that contains the graciousness of God to meet all the needs of those around us. The word that stands out to me the most is the word flow. And I've ministered for two decades pastoring, and it seems like people want to have their well filled up. Just fill me up. But it stops there. You're not called to be full. You're called to be spilling over on everyone around you. To have so much of God's goodness and graciousness inside of you that it is flowing out of you. It's rivers of living water washing over those who are oppressed, those who are afraid, those who are desperate. And bringing the healing power of God to their fear and their anxiety and their desperation. To go about doing good healing those who are oppressed by the devil. I want to pray for us this morning. You're welcome to be in an attitude of agreement or or simply receiving, however you choose. But the prayer is for all of us collectively. There's no greater minister in the room than the Holy Spirit. And he's at work in each one of us. Father, we bless your name. I repent for dismissing those around me. The absence and the withholding of graciousness. Show me your ways that I may know you. And as I see your ways and know you, let me reveal you to this world through my life. Let me be a gracious man. 
that I would hear the cries of those around me and be attentive. Let me answer. And let all the wonders of your grace not only be embraced and hoarded by me, but let them be distributed with generosity to those around me. That they wouldn't simply be stored up in selfishness, but that they would be distributed liberally. Let there be a freedom from oppression that would result from us walking in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus, that we would go about doing good. Let benevolence be the banner over your people, that we would truly give as it was freely given to us. And let us lay down a lifestyle of being filled up. And let us take on our calling to spill over onto this world, rivers of living water flowing out of us. And let the wonderful results bring you honor and glory. We give you thanks for your graciousness toward us. Let it be magnified within us. And let it be released through every one of our words and actions. It's for your honor and for your glory. For the expansion of your kingdom. We bless your name and we give you thanks for the wonders of grace. We rejoice in you and we say thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare... Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.com.